this is The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. Atomic batteries to power, turbines to speed. Hello and welcome to this week's Film File. Not only just the film show for film geeks by film geeks, but a moment where we have entered the multiverse of madness. <laughs> we are operating on no cylinders even with our atomic batteries to speed. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meekin. It's going to be one of those shows, sometimes <laughs> in this particular part of our very own multiverse. Um, it just it just starts. We start this recording always and madness starts. When we do one of these early morning recordings, This we are both still in a dreamlike state at this time of day. Yeah. And this is when the recordings get a bit silly. Uh, it, it does mean more complications for me on the edit side because <laughs> I need to try to make it not silly. Uh, but it does occasionally mean that when it comes to the video bits getting put out, you get some juicy treats. <laughs> and there might be some juicy treats today. Yeah. So uh, just to give you a little bit of context, uh, we record this a couple of days before you hear it. And we always, we always have to accommodate each other's lives. You know, we do this for free unless you're a sponsor out there you want to get involved please get in touch now <laughs> we've got one called super tired that we should be introducing any day now super tired, super tired. <laughs> and um andy has got his own little tale i played a show last night with my uh, uh, my tribute band uh, it was a late finish and uh, got back so i'm a bit croaky having sang for an hour and a half and just a little bit still bleary eyed that's my excuse andy what's yours so, as we've been hinting at over the past couple of weeks, Andy's going to be, and those who follow the Twitter feed will know a bit more about this because I posted out on there. Andy is relocating for a few months. Um, yeah. I am going down south uh, to Banbury to help with the opening of a brand new cinema there, wow. uh, where, where I'm going to be stationed for the next three months to help set up the team, help set up the way that it runs and get them get them hitting the ground running. It's, it's a huge undertaking. It, it's a change to my lifestyle. I mean, my family are still going to be living in Sheffield, so I'm going to be popping backwards and forwards. But as a result, I'm going down this afternoon. So we're getting this recorded quite early today so that I can transfer it over to my laptop and then get the show edited whilst I'm down there over the next couple of days. Well, you're going down by train, aren't you? Yeah, today. so it's it's about three hours, three and a half there hours. There you go. Journey. By the time you've got there, the show will be complete. Because <laughs> I always find the one thing I do like about train travel is, is the ability to work. And uh, if they weren't so darn expensive, yeah, and if they weren't so darn... Uh, well, the, the last train that I, I got was uh, was a nightmare. Uh, scenario of not being able to get the seat that I'd booked because they'd not put enough carriages on, but that's another story for another time. But I, I generally quite enjoy getting the train. If I can get the opportunity, yeah. I'll I'll jump on uh, and, and and make the most of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the same. I, I do love a good train journey. I like to relax, and you can just disappear into your own world and do your own thing. But yeah, obviously, because I'm going down to Banbury as of today, I worked my last shift for the time being with the guys at Sheffield the other day. And at the risk of having a, that's what she said, it was harder than I thought. You, you were quite emotional. I saw your, your uh, comments on Twitter. And, it, um, well, at least you're not going forever. That's the good thing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's three months and it will fly by. And as I promised, no, I actually threatened, I was going to come down and, uh, and, and see you at some point. Because I, I don't really know Banbury. But I'm hoping that we'll pick up some new listeners in Banbury as they 
become part of the film file family. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to come down and uh, 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 and spend uh, a day with you when uh, yeah. when we get the chance. Uh, uh, yeah, that my, my last shift was it's the day felt weird knowing that it would be the last time that I'd be working there for about three months. And when it came to leaving, and like I went, went and said like farewell to all the team, and then went outside and chatted to Scott, who I've known for years. Scott contributor to the show occasionally, yep. or certainly in the early days when we were a, a trio, the tender yep. trio. Uh, and and that was the point at which I could just feel myself. I could feel myself breaking emotionally, <sighs> and it just like yeah, oh, I'm gonna. And I realised how much I'm gonna miss those. T- those guys i posted a message on the internal communications staff team page um to just say you know as i sit on the bus at the moment uh, for the last time for the next last three months for the next three months it really makes me realize what i'm leaving behind uh you guys are all awesome and i, I love working with you i love the building i think that they're a great team i'll miss all the fun I'll miss all the silliness, all the chats, the googly eyes that we stick around the building um, <laughs> to have a laugh, um, and the little challenges. But I then posted like a little image of a quote that perfectly summed it up, and it's from um, Winnie the Pooh, A.A. A. Milne. How lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. Brilliant. And it really Lovely. put it all into context that, you know, it made me realise how much I love the people that I work with by how much it hurt, even though it's only for three months, to say yeah. farewell to them. You'll be back. You know, it's interesting. You've, you've just raised a, a, a key point. So most listeners who, who don't know me, me or yourself personally, uh, will have picked up bits of information about our lives. So by normal standards, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. But during the pandemic, I was supposed to finish uh, a, a film that I'd been shooting for two years and pandemic knocked it for six uh, and knocked another project. Uh, that I was working on for six as well. So um, it wasn't a financial choice. It was a. Uh, it was a, about boredom. I decided I needed something to do. I was. I was going stir crazy. So because my uh, fallback is always doing a bit of teaching, I jumped yeah. to a, a teaching a film course, which I have absolutely. I won't say adored all the time. It's been. It's. It's been a struggle. It. It's been a mental challenge. There's a. A, a lot of work, but I. I promised when I, I did it, that I would see the group that I was teaching from first years through to finishing their exams. And and now that comes to an end. I've you know, built up relationships and, and it just made me think I'm going to say goodbye to people who's hopefully I've had some influence on their lives. And um, I think that's going to be quite hard. I'm a bit like you. I, I do get emotional. Like, you know, I, I cried at Spider-Man 3. I, I cried at Spider-Man 3, not because it was, it was any good I just, it didn't look it was sad it was just bloody awful um, <laughs> but it just um i just get a, a little bit emotional so i was talking to my class going you know you know it's nearly this journey that we've been on is nearly done and this will be uh, probably you know the end for my my teaching right now and i was getting all choked up and <laughs> didn't give a toss <laughs> and I went, oh, yeah, yeah good on you thanks and i was like oh, he's me choking up giving this heartfelt speech but I think you probably did it better by quoting Winnie the Pooh, which I think when anybody quotes Winnie the Pooh, you you, you do get that little lump. Yeah, throat. Winnie the Pooh is filled with life lessons. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I urge everyone who's never never read through all of the Winnie the Pooh stories to go and buy them. Yeah, you deserve beautiful. it. You deserve yeah. it. They are beautiful. They may be children's books, but they are but so beautifully written. Yeah. Incredibly philosophical. So what does that mean for the show? Well, for the show, we will be back 
as Andy said, we're figuring it out. We'll be back next week, no matter what. We've got a couple of surprises yeah. in store for you. But ultimately, it's for, it's for us to stress about. It's for us to stress about in the background. Yeah, you, as long as you're there, there and tune in. You just you just we'll keep tuning in and see yeah. what we put out because remember we will tell be, your friends. <laughs> we will be keeping you up to date. We will be occasionally digging into the archives for some favourite memories. Uh, but you know, as we see new films, we will we will find a way to log on with me on a wife like hotel Wi-Fi, and uh, it'll take six hours to do an hour show. <laughs> That's about the norm at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, Let's yeah, be honest. Just this morning. <laughs> and we will keep bringing you our questions of the week on Twitter. Yes. And talking of which, which is a fantastic segue. Andy, See, I'm um, perfect at this, aren't I? <laughs> you, getting, you know, after 120 episodes, so you should be. <laughs> so uh, we set every week a Twitter question challenge. And this week's challenge was all about the idea of... If you had the opportunity to reboot a TV series or do a big screen version of that series, what TV series from your past do you think deserves to move onto the big screen? Now, of course, Star Trek was hugely successful moving yes. to the big screen. Uh, there were films like Starsky and Hutch, which weren't. 21 Jump Street was. Sometimes it's a success. Sometimes it's a Charlie's Angels. Yeah. So what choices did you come up with? Now, I said on the show, The Six Million Dollar Man, because I think in this day and age, it would be Six Billion Dollar Man. And, as, and, and to do it straight and to do it more like the original pilot uh, and more like the original book. But, but what about wonderful, very beautiful looking uh, followers said this week? So Anna Kerry on Twitter suggested Hogan's Heroes, the 60s uh, yeah. POW sitcom. You know, I'm so surprised that one's not been done. Yeah, it's, it, it's one of them that... You, as soon as like that tweet came through, I was just like, "Wow, I'd completely forgotten about that." But that makes perfect sense. I think that could work a charm. Uh, yeah. Stephen Young sent me a message and suggested Gargoyles, the Disney animated series, which he had Keith David as the voice of Goliath. Um, it was a cracking series, and I think it's a great choice. He'd like to see it on the big screen, and he wants it in a new digital two D mixed with deep canvas kind of technology. Okay. So. I I think it could look beautiful. And it, it was one of those animated shows of the 90s that really had like a good depth to the story running through each season. I know it by reputation only. Steely Steve, a.k.a. Um, old friend of the show, Steve Clark, person who I stole the name Film File from, um, <laughs> once Battle of the Planets live action, which we've had a live action of sorts about nine, ten years ago, the Japanese Gatchaman um, live right. action movie. And the Russos announced in 2019 that they picked up the rights and were working on a movie, but it's still in the concept stage at the moment. So okay. we might actually get to see this. But I'm, I'm well there for Battle of the Planets. I loved it growing up. I thought it was fantastic. Maybe not um, have the Amer maybe don't have the Americanized elements put in there. Maybe make it more similar to Gatchaman. But yeah, I'm for that one. Indie Immy gave us Big Bang Theory. Now, I had to point out to him that I'm not a fan of the series. Yeah, me neither, really. I've never cottoned on to it. But if Will Wheaton was to reprise his role as evil Will Wheaton within a movie version, I might be tempted to pop along and see it just to see what they do with it. It's the same as when the Simpsons movie came out. I'd lost interest in the Simpsons a few years beforehand. But I still went to see the movie because it was like, well, what can you do with this on the big screen? And it worked for me. I've still okay. not watched any Simpsons on TV since, but it worked well as a movie. And I think Big Bang Theory, if it's done right with the right names behind it, could be something different on the big screen than what it is on they TV. They have to go on holiday. 
Well, that's the, that's the concept, isn't it? The TV trope, they have to go on holiday. Usually the south of France or Spain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Master Splinter, a.k.a. the Riddler 109, it suggested, and you probably just go blank-faced at this one, SWAT Cats. Blank-faced. Ultimate yep. blank-faced on that Thought one. Thought so. Uh, like a series revival over a movie. Um, it was a 90s Hanna-Barbera animation about vigilante pilots with a state-of-the-art <sighs> fighter jet. Um, it was, and all. it was cancelled after two seasons, not because of viewing figures, it was actually one of the highest rated cartoons at the time, but because Ted Turner of Turner Entertainment, who produced the show, wasn't happy with the level of violence in what he saw as a kid's cartoon. In his own words, we have more cartoons than anybody. The Flintstones, the Jetsons, the Smurfs, Scooby-Doo, they're non-violent. We don't have to worry that we're encouraging kids to kill each other like some some other cartoon programs do. So it was cancelled because someone didn't get that not all animation is aimed at five-year-olds. Crazy. I don't know that one. That's a, a complete uh, a newbie to me. Now, my suggestion... Yeah, yeah, we, we didn't talk about yours. It's, um, it was all about me. My, my, my one, which... Th- this is one that I've wanted for ages, and we kind of got a modern interpretation about eight to ten years ago, and that's The Prisoner. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, we got a, a, a version with Sir Ian McKellen and John Cazaville. Yeah, and I quite liked that one, but I want a proper legacy sequel to the Patrick McGowan Prisoner TV series, possibly adapting the fantastic graphic novel Shattered Visage, which would make an excellent story. It's It picks it up many, many years later with someone else investigating all the mystery about the village, and they encounter the Patrick McGowan character within the... Um, and it kind of like explains some of the ending whilst also opening up more questions. And I'd love to see a return to Port Merion, basically, uh, to the village and that themes and that look of identity and et cetera. I know we've got it recently on TV kind of with Severance, yeah, which is so thematically similar to The Prisoner that it's surprised that they haven't just slapped a, a logo with a penny farthing on everyone's um, jackets. <laughs> but I, I, I've always wanted to see a proper resolution to that prisoner series and shattered visage the graphic novel is the only resolution we've had so far that worked give me a movie version give me that on the big screen maybe use it as a jumping off point for a new series just to interject on that while i was at port Marion, uh i was gonna say recently but it's now about nine years ago there was uh in the shop there's uh, um printouts of of letters between mcgoon and, and port Marion where they were about to resurrect the Looked like the funding was in place to do a prisoner sequel movie, uh, which of course never happened. And uh, there's a also a very fantastic script that never got developed with for Mel Gibson by Christopher McQuarrie, which was a stunning script, which sort of followed on was a, a, a reboot and a remake mm. and and a sequel all in one. Which is to read it is 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 to understand it. But yes, I think I think you're absolutely right. I came up with a, a, another couple. I I said uh, Blake Seven. A Blake Seven yes. movie, even though actually I think it would make a, a be a better rebooted TV series because you got time to explore the Seven, which never really happened within the old series. But Blake Seven would go down wonderfully. And my all-time sort of favorite idea is UFO, the Jerry Anderson series. Yeah, because in post uh, Independence Day and in post Men in Black, and also what we can now do with with effects work, that even though how spectacular. UFO was you can expand upon it so much more. I think it's absolutely right to be to yeah. be remade. It's not like Space nineteen ninety nine, which is sort of needed a series to explore. But you could do it in a movie and and show the alien threat. And I'm I'm still I'm stunned 
shocked and stunned that it's never been done. Yeah, but With the Blake Seven one, yeah, it, that's something that gets rumored every couple of years. Yeah, Idris Elba was coming to the production. couple of years back, and Sky was supposed to be producing a series. So um, one day, you know, these things don't stay dead forever. I mean, I, I, can, I can certainly see Blake Seven somehow coming back. Not so much UFO, I think. TV series would probably like a CGI series like they did with Captain Scarlet and Thunderbirds, but uh, for a, uh, yeah, for a reboot TV series, one which I'd also throw in to the ring, which I know has a popular response from when we've spoken similar in recent years on MTOS, is Sapphire and Steel. Yeah, a reboot as a movie or a TV series. As a TV series, yeah. I think that that would have to be a TV series, even though each of the stories is kind of independent. The, it would kind of give it chance to grow and develop as a mini-series, yeah. like the old series was. I would I would add in a series called Time Slip, which oh. I saw when I was very, very little. I think it might be on BritBox. It's one of my first memories, other than Doctor Who and, and Star Trek, of, of genre TV. I think it got repeated because I, I, I can't believe somebody was seven or eight at the time, if not younger, um, yeah. having such a good memory of it. But I do remember it's the first time I got frightened by something on TV and had to hide. But I think it would be a... a, a great young adult remake because you don't have to be that reverent to the original series but to the original idea and do something brand new with it so yeah yeah that's so so much right when you get look at some of the series which they they bring back and you think why 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 that one when there's so many good ideas that you can you can go back and explore so anyway this week's twitter challenge uh, because andy's going to be talking about the remake of firestarter got me thinking what is everyone's favourite Stephen King adaptation. Now, and I think this could be an open uh, ender question, it doesn't have to be just just movies, because for me, the David Soul version of Salem's Lot is is such a great adaptation of, of one of his books. Um, and there have been some some poor adaptations, there's probably been more poor ones than, than anything else, but there have been some great ones. For me, still the best will always be uh, Dead Zone. I think it, it's just... Just perfect. It's, it's a perfect movie. So what do you think, Andy? Stephen King adaptations? Tell us what, what you think is the best one. Why, even, if you want to go that far? I'd have to think through because there's some really good ones. I mean, you've got, obviously, you've got your Shawshanks and you've got your Green Miles. See, there you go. I don't even consider those on, on my list. But you've also got things like Misery, which I think is a solid adaptation. Uh, James Kahn is magnificent in that. I agree with you on Dead Zone that it's such a like it's one of the pinnacles. But there are some, as much as a lot of them are a mess, and we spoke about Master of Mower Drive only a couple of weeks ago. There's so many good ones, which is the reason why Stephen King's name being attached to something still means something because there's always the chance of another Carrie. There's always the chance of another Christine. You know, yeah. something that really does something great. So, which one is yours? Um, I'll de- I'll try and decide which one I'm going to pick as my top one uh, for by next week, and let's find out from you guys out there what you think is the best Stephen King adaptation. Cool. If anyone says Lawnmower Man, you- you're blocked. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Someone is now going to say Lawnmower Man. So that's this week's Twitter challenge. But more importantly, what's on this week's show? Well. We are going to be doing a deep dive into... Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, because Andy's on a Michelle Yeoh kick at the moment. (laughs) And that will be explained why when we come to our reviews. Andy's going to be talking about... Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which landed at cinemas this weekend. I'm also going to be covering Firestarter, which landed at cinemas this weekend. 
and The Bad Guys. It's been out for a few weeks, but it's now available for home rental. And that's how I got to see it this week. Two of those films I recommend. Let's see which two. But before any of that, the segment that we always like to call by its first name, because its first name is News. So last week saw the release of Doctor Strange, uh, Multiverse of Madness. It came in at the number one position. But Andy, is it still hanging in, at least in this dimension? Is it still the number one film? So, yeah, so box office worldwide has seen Doctor Strange hold on to that top spot once more. There's not really a lot of competition for it until Top Gun arrives in just over another week. In the US, Doctor Strange, 61.8 million it took this weekend. It's a significant drop to the previous weekend. I mean, if we break it down, on the Friday, it took 81% less than it did on the previous Friday. But the previous Friday was the opening day. But then Saturday and Sunday were 54 and 53% down on the previous week. So we were expecting a bit of a strong drop. But it still leaves the film worldwide on 703 million so far to date, which is pretty successful only two weeks into a film's run. Elsewhere in the US, the bad guys is still bringing in business. Another 7 million added onto its total. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, again, still bringing family audiences in for another 4.7 million this weekend. New opener, Firestarter, the Stephen King adaptation. It's opening on streaming at the same time in the US, so it's only taken 3.8 million. And holding up fifth place is Everything Everywhere All at Once with 3.3 million, a film that deserves to do a lot better than just that. Here in the UK, Doctor Strange, again, holding the top spot. Another 5.7 million added onto its total. It's taking £30.4 million in the UK so far. Downton Abbey, still bringing in that audience, 970,000. Added onto its total of £10.4 million so far. Everything Everywhere All at Once gets third place in the UK with 681,000. A very good opening for a film that's going to see very good positive word of mouth which will hopefully carry the film over week on week. We'll get to find out next week whether it's going to retain its position. Sonic the Hedgehog holding in at fourth place. And the live event, Little Mixed Live, the final show, took fifth place. So I don't know whether you've seen the amazing reviews that, that the Top Gun sequels get in. I'm putting the good money on that will knock Doctor Strange off the number one spot. Because I, I, I'm so surprised. I mean, I've, I've not seen the film yet. I'm looking forward to seeing it. But the reviews have been phenomenal. I mean, uh, a five-star in Empire. Universally, critics are loving this. Yeah, I think they've also needed to um, open the floodgates on the reviews. Because uh, they, they lifted the embargo on them yeah. two weeks early. I think it's because the general buzz online hasn't been that great because the trailer, as great as the trailer is, and it made me go, wow, it made me go like that because it reminded me of the original Top Gun. Yes. And it, they need to get a new audience to jump on board. So they need the positivity of the critics out there to really do it. And the critics are immensely positive. About 96% on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. Absolutely brilliant feedback from it. Everyone's saying that you can approach it as a fan of the original or in, in, like as its own film. I'm still not sure how much business it's going to do. It'll do great, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be the one billion blockbuster. But I'd like to be proven wrong. I'd like to be proven wrong because I, I think that it does rely on that connection that people like me and you have to the original coming out. Yeah. And a newer, younger audience haven't got that. But we'll see. I, I want it to be a success. I do love watching Tom Cruise in action films and I do love watching um, fighter jets doing crazy stunts. Mm -hmm. So it, it's got to tick all my boxes. 
It's even well, got a vo- beach volleyball scene. What yeah. more do you need in a film? <laughs> well, the coolest <laughs> thing is, is they've created that word of mouth because, you know, with so many good critical responses, yeah. you're going to be afraid of missing out on something that is that is apparently as good as everyone's saying it is. So I think that's pretty much why they'll have gone down that route of, of releasing yeah. um, all the reviews so early. But, but I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I've been looking forward to it since the get-go. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I am looking forward to it. I mean, talking of box office, uh, Jurassic World Dominion's early tracking projects a gigantic 165 to $205 million opening weekend. So, I mean, there's that to contend with as well. I mean, while I know we've had problems with Jurassic World between us, yeah. the trailers have been very spectacular and, uh, yeah. uh, and are really sort of selling this idea of, of what this film and where this film's going. So, uh, you know, I think they've done a great bit of marketing on, on this project, probably in, in light of, of, of the panning the last one got. It's taken them six films to get there, but they finally got to the stage where the dinosaurs are now part of the full world that yeah. they've integrated onto the mainland. And that's what people have been wanting since that little tease of it with a T-Rex stomping through a suburbia in the second film. Yeah. So finally, we get to see Jurassic World, let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> we finally get to see the world aspect of it. As as much as I've not been a fan of the last couple of films, I can't help but get excited that latest trailer, and it's got a bought-in audience, so it's a no-brainer that you know Jurassic is going to blow box office records. Anyway, what else have we got? Let's move into. Well, let's start off with a bit of what I'm going to refer to as "no shit Sherlock" for um <laughs> for the for upgrade, non-radio um, podcast version. <laughs> yeah, a new report by the Rap has alleged that the Oscar fan favourite and cheer moment Twitter polls that led to a certain cult insisting that a certain director is now an Oscar winner might have been subject to a bot campaign. Really? Oh, d- who'd have we thought that, that a we, bot campaign? Ago. Yes. According to the outlet, two reports from the hashtag analytics tracking tool TweetBinder have shown signs of autonomous web programmes with bot accounts on the service, casting thousands of votes for, guess what? Yep, you guessed it, Zack Snyder and Army of the Dead and Justice League, which would explain very unusual spikes of activity, such as a one-day jump of 25,000 votes after there'd been weeks of daily votes being around 15 to 35% of that activity. Really? How, who'd have thought that a campaign that thinks that hashtags means the world and can get them everything and yet has demonstrably proven to not be as popular when it gets released actually had to fake the results in order to win something (laughs) color me unsurprised however the question that comes off the back of that is is what happens next is it just put it down to an investigation does it put it down to the element of you know does it uh does it by default have to change anything. I mean, the film didn't win anything. It was just a, no. a viewer's poll. So in, in the scheme of things, nobody cares that much. All it means is that, because the Oscars are quite keen to repeat this kind of thing next year. They're quite keen to do that social engagement aspect. Every company is doing this at the moment. They like the social engagement. Hashtag this, makes hashtag sense. that. So they're keen to keep it up, but they now need to work out how to how to restructure it to avoid this because you can't have votes getting cast by Twitter accounts that only have one follower themselves and have only posted five things, their five votes. That's where the problem is because they are clearly bot accounts that have been created and generated just 
to take part in this. So we'll see when it comes to next year's Oscars, which you know, Oscar doesn't plan to um, change any of its uh, approach that it did this year. Well, maybe they'll change one aspect, not have like an actor go up and slap someone on stage. But the rest of it is uh, plans to be more of the same because it was quite a successful result for them this year at the Oscars. Uh, viewing figures were increased. And why not keep with that process? So let's move on to, did you see that um, the Disney website in the UK accidentally revealed a release date for She-Hulk TV series this week? I know I did not. Yes, uh, they posted up a, a list of upcoming shows, which strangely enough, none of the other ones worldwide did. And was, it was swiftly taken down and re-amended. But in the time that it was up there, we got to see that the date to mark down is August the 17th. Uh, for those who don't know what She-Hulk is, it's going to be a comedy approach to the series 10 episodes and we'll see mark ruffalo as banner helping his cousin jennifer walters played by tatiana masali when she needs a blood transfusion which obviously results in the 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 lawyer jennifer gaining his hulk-like nature anyone who's read the she hulk comics will know what to expect and i've got a lot of love for the humor that goes on within them and i'm hoping they're going to go through the whole aspect of her being defense attorney for criminals that she might have even taken down at some point i love the the approach i love that they could do something different with it and as we've seen with marvel shows they are having fun doing something very different with each one i i don't like rumor and innuendo uh and we don't often do it but there was a rumor going around through some circles that uh it could be read two ways that marvel are worried about this series and it could be read that they're worried that it's maybe too different and it's something that we've not seen before so therefore the expectation is how well received it might be there's there's rumor that it's going to break the fourth wall and be more broad comedy than what we've seen previously or they're worried that it's not quite turned out that they the way they want it to yeah either way it's still just a rumor but that's kind of from an inside circle but as i said that could be read two ways entirely yeah i mean last time that we had similar rumors within the mcu was when james gunn was making guardians of the galaxy yes and i think we're all quite happy with how that turned out and it proved that sometimes you can do something a little different and a little bit flippant and it pays off so yeah. i'm i'm confident that when it releases the audiences will latch onto it because everyone says that the mcu's got a formula and everything's too much the same but then they get worried when they hear that something might not be to formula and be the same. Just yeah. embrace it. Let it play out. And that's what the TV shows are doing. I mean, Moon Knight was not what we expected from Moon Knight. But boy, I loved it because yes. it wasn't what we expected. Yeah, and definitely. I can't wait to see the future of that character within the MCU framework. Horror news. Yes, the first omen, a prequel to the 1976 um, first omen film, has assigned Arkasha Stevenson. Uh, who gave us Legion and Briar Patch to direct. The original film saw Damien Thorne, a young child, replaced at birth and raised as a diplomat's son, who's the prophesied Antichrist. And this film is expected to be a direct prequel to that film, with Stevenson and her writing partner, Tim Smith, set to redraft the current screenplay that's out there. I I love the original Omen. Yeah, very much. I, I mean, did you ever see, see the uh, Dreadful remake? Oh, yes. Well, I would say Dreadful remake, unnecessary remake. It might be a, a yet. Yeah better term it was a lazy remake if anything there was nothing particularly wrong with it, it was just it was just why uh, it didn't bring anything new to the party but you're right the original richard donner version was was quite something and the original film spotlight spawned two sequels 
three if you include uh, the the one with the girl instead, but we try not to. Uh, the second film was pretty good, which basically picked up straight from the end of the first film. The third one kind of lost it because it moved ahead to Damien being older. And it kind of lo- it was trying to like do the resolution of the apocalypse, but the original Omen film is still a film that stands up today. Absolutely. I want them to get this prequel right. I'm not sure how much story there is within a prequel of it because yeah. surely the story of the Omen is from the birth onwards. But <laughs> it's just one one and a, one and a half hour sex scene <laughs> involving dogs. <laughs> oh, I've got that image in my head now, Andy. I, I can't get it out. But. Yeah, I'm interested to see what they do with it because as a fan of the original, I'm intrigued to see whether this deserves a prequel to it. Let's see. And for some horror comedy instead, Totally Killer from Blumhouse and Amazon has lined up Kiernan Shipka, who was you might know from uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yeah. Julie Bowen series. from Modern Family. Randall Park, the marvellous Randall Park from WandaVision. And Olivia Holt from Cruel Summer heading up the cast. And th- I like the idea of this film. Shipka is playing Jamie with Bowen as a mum, Pam. And Pam is attacked by the Sweet 16 killer, a masked maniac who slaughtered teen girls back in the 80s. With the help of her friend, Jamie travels backwards in time to 1987 and teams up with the teen version of her mum to stop the killer. I'm in. <laughs> bit of time travel, time travel horror. I'm in. I've got a bit of news. Alexander Skarsgård, who we recently saw as the Northman, is teaming up with Dane DeHaan, who last I saw him in was Lisa's story uh, for Apple. And they're both going to play reluctant tiger hunters in a film called The Tiger, which I don't know much about, but it has kind of a, a ghost in the darkness vibe about it to me. Dane DeHaan is one of those one of those actors that never seems to have found the right role to really showcase himself. He's, he's had some promising moments. Yeah. Last time I saw him, he was in, in Lisa's story, he was chewing the scenery. Yeah, he, he just needs, he, he deserves to be recognised more than he is because he can be a great actor, but he just kind of chose the wrong projects. Yeah. After that after that early start with a Chronicle, yes. which he showed so much promise in, he, he just got latched on to, well, he got latched on to Amazing Spider-Man 2, didn't he? Um, <laughs> and from there, it was all downhill. Richard Linklater News, he's going to re-team with Glenn Powell who worked with him on Everybody Wants Some and Apollo 10 and a Half for the action okay. comedy Hitman. The actor is going to play a Houston cop working undercover as the most in-demand Hitman for hire, but one day he breaks protocol to help a desperate woman trying to escape an abusive boyfriend. With a bit of the Richard Linklater charm in there, I can picture us having a bit of a fun with that one. I'm looking forward to it. What else we got? Well, the news of the week for me is a bit of casting news for Dune Part 2. Yeah. I was waiting for you with bated breath to bring this one up. Now, what amuses me is on the news reports that I've read of this, no one's picked up the reference that I picked up on as soon as it was announced. So Christopher Walken has been cast in the sequel to June and he's been cast. Can, can I just stop you there, Shad- Andy? Because I think every time you mention Christopher Walken, don't you have to put the prefix of the great Christopher Walken? Oh, the, the majestically wonderful <laughs> Christopher Walken. He's been cast as Emperor Shaddam IV, the ruler of the known universe, who set up the Atreides family to cause their downfall. He joins other newcomers, such as Florence Pugh, who's playing Princess Evelyn, and Austin Butler, who's playing Faith Ralpha. But Christopher Walken being cast. Now, the reference that I'm going to refer to, that everyone seems to have missed, Christopher Walken famously danced his way around a hotel lobby in Fatboy Slim's Weapon of Choice video. Yeah? He did. Yes, he did. 
and it's a marvellous video. If you've never seen it, go onto YouTube right now. Pause this. Go onto YouTube. Sublime. Watch Absolutely that video. Sublime. It's so brilliant. And Walken clearly enjoying himself in it. But Fatboy Slim's weapon of choice contains the lines of dialogue sung out, walk without rhythm and you won't attract the worm, which directly references June. It's come full circle, and no <laughs> one's picked up on this. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, hasn't he played this role before in Jungle Book? But but no, I'll, I'll go with that one instead. That's much more interesting. It's, it's a great... I, I just thought, as soon as I heard this news, I was like, oh my goodness, that's just such, such a perfect one. But he's a great piece of casting. Because uh, yeah. um, you know, people were wondering whether they were going to go mean and sinister and like over, like foreboding for Emperor Shaddam. But he should not have an imposing stature, but have that subdued, cunning menace. And Walken, as we know well, can do cunning menace to perfection. I'm wondering if they'll find a, ret- a, a section of the film that he can dance in. But you know, if if they don't, I'm sure he'll manage to do like a little jig just off screen at some point. <laughs> the role that it's closest to, and it's uh, one of my. It would be in my top 20 all-time favourite films is Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, where he played the crime lord. Yeah. It was it was just quietly, quietly chilling. It, it, it wasn't Walken at his, his, his over-the-top craziness, but it was his subdued craziness that, that made, him, made him terrifying in that film. And there's more exciting news for me this week. Now, this was a very Even close more. second for exciting news. Spinal Tap 2 a sequel to the 1984 film will see Rob Reiner reprise the role of Marty DeBerge, who's taking a new look at where David St. Hubbins, Derek Smalls and Nigel Tufnell, McKean, Shearer and Guest are now. And this is a project that they've all been discussing over the past few years as a a way to, to have fun with that aspect again. The story being that after the loss of their manager, Ian Faith, the late, great Tony Hendra, Ian's widow, finds a contract which says that Tap owed them one more concert and she will sue them if they don't do it. However, the band split up quite a few years ago now and don't talk to each other. So they're forced back together for one last show with Marty DeBerge, who anyone who's listened to the commentary on the DVD release of Spinal Tap will know that the band aren't happy with what Marty DeBerge did in yes, this documentary. True. They were very disappointed. You've literally got to be a full fan of the all the extra material of Spinal Tap to get the metaness of them now bringing him back and he's going to be directing them with them hating him being like the director again and trying to work out how they're going to work, play on stage. And I'm in. I mean, <laughs> I love Tap. I love the all the post-film stuff that they did. I love their gig stuff. I love their, like, tra- they had that reprisal about 15 years ago where they went touring and they did little, like, mini yep. segments. And I think there is room for this gang of people to bring us the same level of enjoyment with a nice little stab at modern music documentaries at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, if you've seen, as you've referenced, the Blu-ray or the DVD, the, there's enough on the outtakes to make another movie. Isn't there about 50 minutes worth of, of outtakes and yeah. deleted scenes? Which, on the DVD, they compiled together in like a little mini-movie and then did an audio commentary over that as well, <laughs> which... Th- I'm telling you, if you've never delved into all the extras on the DVD and Blu-ray release of the Spinal Tap movie, just treat yourself one day and go through everything because there's a wealth of stuff there and this film is clearly going to be drawing upon the stuff that wasn't in the original film. Can I can I just tell you my, my tap moment? Tap away. I played a gig and uh, we wanted to make a, a big entrance and so we decided it was a it was a fairly well-known biggish club and it was the first gig with this particular band 
So we thought, right, we want to make a, a big entrance on this. We'll go down the stairs. And, and normally in sort of clubs, sometimes you have to walk through the audience to get onto the stage. Uh, and I said, well, let's, we know there's a side stage entrance. We'll go that way. So we followed the stair, staircase down, got to this door, which was locked, and we couldn't find our way back, which is such a tap moment. And, and everybody just went, this is so Spinal Tap, because it's now, <laughs> it's now a part of who we are. <laughs> yeah, I, that that's one that we we will keep our eye out oh, for, and so, I can't wait to watch so it. There. More revival from the 80s, Dirty Dancing is getting a sequel. Yeah, now I read this. Jonathan Levine has been tagged to uh, bring it to the screen. Uh, Jonathan Levine, who gave us Warm Bodies and Longshot, both films that I quite like. Jennifer Grey is going to reprise her role as Frances Baby Houseman, and she's returning to the Kellermans during the 90s. The film will once more be a coming-of-age romance centred on the experiences of, a, experiences of a young woman at the summer camp, because why not just rinse and repeat? And Baby's own journey will intertwine with that of the new, younger cast. Uh, but Grey might not be the only original film original film's face to return. Levine's been talking to Deadline. They're about to talk to other people and exploring the possibilities. The most important thing was having Jennifer on board. She's an invaluable collaborator, going to make going to try to involve as many people from the original as is appropriate. And we want to be respectful in every way. Now they've got to be respectful because as we know, the the great Patrick Swayze passed away a few years ago. Yes. And that shadow of his character is going to loom all over the production. Can it live up to his memory? Well, I mean, there there was a sequel, uh, much forgotten, the Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Uh, I tried to do something a little bit different. wasn't It wasn't very successful. In fact, it was a, it was a flop. Is it one of those where there's such an embedded audience into Dirty Dancing that they would go back and see another film because it's got Jennifer Grey in? But my my feelings are people love that film because of the relationship between. Uh, Gray and Patrick Swayze. That's what the film was about. It was about that relationship. Yeah. So, oh, only time will tell. You know, I don't want to damn anything before it, it started. But I think the heart of that film was was clearly Patrick Swayze. I, I've never been a fan. My other half loves it. It's one of her favourite films. In fact, she went to a, a, a live event where they had dancers on and they had uh, a screening outside mm. of it a few years ago. She got very drunk, which I like to remind her of uh, many times. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I mean, there is there is an audience out there, but that audience didn't come back for Havana Nights, so it'll be interesting to, no. to to see where they go. Yep. Also, bringing back familiar faces is the next film in the Scream franchise. I was just about to mention that, but you beat me to it. Hayden Pantier, who is in the fourth film, is the latest one to be close to signing a deal to reprise her character of Kirby Reed, who was a survivor on the fourth film, and that that casting came hot on the heels of Melissa Barrera, Jasmine Savoy Brown. Mason Gooding and Jenna Ortega, who are all returning from the fifth film. The new film is going to see the most recent survivors leave Woodsboro and try to start a fresh new chapter in their lives. But obviously, more killings happen. Uh, and James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick are returning to write, with Matt Bettelini open and Tyler Gillett back to direct to keep the tone and the consistency between the previous film and this new one. I'm, I'm on board because the, the more recent Scream film, it's my second favourite Scream film after the first one. Right. Um, I'm going to uh, shock you now, Andy. Did you see the trailer for the new Resident Evil series about to land on Netflix? Yeah, boy. <laughs> wow. I, actually, as you know, I had no interest in the last Resident Evil movie. And I think the last movie version I saw fully was when a friend of mine did did one, um, which if you've listened to the show, I don't have to go into. Uh, and I watched that because a friend of mine directed it. But 
uh, I, I saw bits and pieces on TV and they looked they, they looked cheap and, and um, all over the place. But I've got to be honest, it looks promising and it looks more faithful and a, and a really scary adaptation. Well, the more recent movie was a very faithful adaptation. It really drew into the, the, the gritty first and second games in particular. But this series, it, it looks like it's going to really tap into what happened after Raccoon City, what happened after the fall of Earth, and push it further ahead. It looks great. Yeah. I love the creature designs. They've got them right. It looks polished. Fingers crossed it pays off. Let's see. Only time will tell. Jodie Comer has joined the sci-fi post-environmental collapse thriller, The End We Start From which is set in a London of the near future, which has been submerged by floodwaters. The story focuses on a young family caught up in the chaos. Coma will play the mother with a newborn child trying to find a way home. And it's adapted from a novel by Megan Hunter, which drew comparisons with Cormus McCarthy's The Road. And Liam Neeson is teaming up with Cold Pursuit director, if you've not seen Cold Pursuit, don't bother. I guess they don't. <laughs> to Hans Pe- Petter Molland for Thug. He will play, this sounds like him really playing against type, a San Pedro gangster attempting to reconnect with his children and rectify the mistakes of his past, but the criminal underworld isn't letting him leave easily. Wow, he's got to really stretch his range there, isn't he? <laughs> <It's>, uh... <laughs> and at the same time, Neeson has also signed up to star in the sci-fi action feature, Cold Storage. So from Cold Pursuit to Cold Storage. Cold Storage will see him star alongside Joe Carey from Stranger Things and the, the brilliant spree that I cannot recommend enough uh, for Studio Canal. And it's based on the novel by David Coop, beginning decades ago when a highly infectious mutating microorganism, which could wipe out life off the planet completely, was put into, you guessed it, cold storage. Cut to today, and the lowest sub-level in the military compound that it's confined to is warming up, threatening the organism to escape and spread and destroy the world. In steps retired bioterror operative, Neeson, and two unlikely heroes in the facility who are humanity's last hope. This comes from the penning of Johnny Campbell, Westworld, and worked on Doctor Who, who will also be directing on this one. Okay, that sounds more interesting if I'm going to watch a Liam Neeson flick these days. That's intriguing. Haven't we had enough of him being like, I've neglected my children to do this kind of career, I want to reconcile with my children, uh, but uh, all my past is catching up with me. We've had enough of them. Please, Liam, do these ones where you can fight a disease. You can't punch a disease, so you've got to do something different. And quick bit of casting, Dan Stevens is now on board Adam Wingard's sequel to Godzilla vs. Kong. Stevens worked with Wingard on The Guest. Um, I've still not seen The Guest. I've heard so many many good things. Uh, And shooting will begin on Godzilla vs. Kong 2 in Australia pretty soon. The first film, even though it got a HBO Max release at the same date, was still a box office smash. Yeah, Yes, it was. Because who doesn't enjoy watching giant creatures beat the... Living daylight out, of each, out other. of each other. I think that's where you were going somewhere close. Yes, it's a family <laughs> while, audience. Stood, while stood on top of aircraft carriers. I mean that that's just bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, before we go, and I hate doing this because it's it's becoming well, we've reached an age where some of our childhood heroes and, and actors that we grew up with are passing away, and sadly, that's not just in film; that's in in every walk of, of entertainment. But this week's a, a, a particularly hard one to get his head around because I always thought that Fred Ward was invincible because that's the kind of actor that he was. He was an, an invincible actor. So Fred Ward has passed away at the age of 79. We spoke about him on this show in, well, one of 
our favourite films and a film that means a lot to you, Andy, Tremors. Tremors. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of all the Tremors series of films and even the TV series. And part of that love came from that very first film, which paired Fred Ward up with Kevin Bacon in a perfect duo. The banter between them felt fluid and natural. I know the Kevin Bacons uh, said that, you know, it was such a joy to work with someone like Fred Ward, who, you know, Ward had built up his reputation in films with roles in films like Escape from Alcatraz. He'd been in a variety of dramas and action thrillers throughout the 70s and 80s. And Tremors just brought him in the 90s to a whole new audience. He, he, he He was a versatile actor. I mean, he would turn up in so many so many different genres you know you'd see him playing in in something like Remo Williams that the the adventure begins i can think of him in uh, in a, a really underrated tv movie called cast a, a, a deadly spell and then you would see him in things like henry and june and true detective and and two of my all-time favorite films and one of them my introduction to to fred ward which was the right stuff which he is is phenomenal in and walter hills Southern Comfort, which he's, he's mm. just a, a powerhouse in, uh, and a film that we should do as a, a deep dive at some point. Uh, a, a fantastic actor, uh, one that we will, sadly, I don't think we'll see the like again of. He had that versatility, he had a, a certain screen demeanour. He was uh, never a big star, but everything he played in, he brought gravitas to the role. And, uh, and for us, right here on the film file, he'll be sadly missed, and our thoughts go out to Fred's friends and family. And that is this week's The News. Still with us, still in this particular portion of the multiverse, good to hear. Why don't you, if you've not done so already, become part of The Film File? All you have to do is head over to your favourite podcast platform, search Film File, hit that subscription and become part of this particular universe. Leave a review, subscribe, We'd like you to do both because, trust me, it's worth it. Why? Because you can join in with such things as... You can head over to Twitter. You can follow us at FilmFile and join us in any discussions that we have over there, including our Twitter question of the week and movie talk on Sundays. You can contact us or follow us on other social media platforms. Just search for FilmFile UK. You can't miss us. Uh, you can email us. We do like getting emails. We even, even the spammy junk mails that I occasionally get, I do like every bit of them. It makes me feel important. But you can email us with thoughts, suggestions, any films that you want us to cover as a deep dive that you don't think that we've covered. Anything that you don't want us to cover as a deep dive because you hate it, we're going to cover it. <laughs> uh, but email us with anything that you want. That's podcast at filmfile.uk. Just get in touch with us. This is, like Lee said, a film file family. You are as important to this show as we are. Not quite, because we, we're the ones who have to make it. But, you know, I know what you mean. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think that if we didn't make one, they'd still imagine that we made one because they're part of the family. <laughs> In part of our multiverse, someone's making one right now. And now it's time for this week's Deep Dive. And in light of Andy talking about the latest movie from Michelle Yeoh, we thought we'd go back and look at a classic the 2000 film directed by Ang Lee, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. America's top critics agree, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is everything we go to the movies for. Exhilarating, visually stunning, spectacular, romantic, fantastic, visionary, filmmaking magic, the best movie of the year. 
Chow Young-Fat, Michelle Yeoh, and Zhang Ziyi. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This film was a game changer when it came out, mainly for the fact that it featured an international Asian cast. It's the story of Master Li, a warrior who asks Yu Shun Lin, the woman he loves, to pass on his sword, Green Destiny, to Sir T. However, when a sword is stolen, Li embarks on a mission to find it. This is an absolute swirling epic of a film, introducing a lot of Western audiences for the first time to wuxia cinema. It starred the great Chow Yun-Fat, Michelle Yeoh, Zhang Zi, Chang Cheng, and it's based on the Chinese novel of the same name, which was, came out in serialized form between 1941 and 1942, and it's the fourth part of the Crane Iron Pentology. As I said, it's an absolutely sumptuous film. It's also one of those films which just proved that Ang Lee could make any kind of film that he wanted. He could bring his unique visual style, which we saw in films like Hulk, Life of Pi, Brokeback Mountain, but this really stands out for being a beautiful, absolutely stunningly sumptuous kung fu action movie in a way that traditional Chinese cinema had been doing for years, but this was a first for American cinema. And I know, Andy, you've got an awful lot of love for this film. I threw out this as a deep dive this week simply because after watching Michelle Yeoh in one of the reviews that I'm going to talk about later, I really wanted to jump back to this film because I realised that as much as I love this film, I've probably not watched it for at least 15 years. I watched it on the right. big screen, was completely taken in with it, bought it on DVD, and I've maybe watched it once or twice on DVD, and I just wanted to revisit. I wanted to go back to it and see whether it still lives up to it. And boy, it still looks and plays beautifully. It plays more beautifully than what I remembered it playing. Ang Lee directs the film with very broad strokes. He takes time to grow the melodramatic aspects before presenting us lavishly entwined action moments. And those action set pieces, the choreography is almost like a ballet. It's, so, it's not like vicious attacks. It's not like thuggish movements. It's swirling and choreographed. And it's like an interplay between everyone and very fantastical in nature. Silent pursuit over rooftops, those chasing each other, literally walking on air at times. An infight that looks like an elaborate dance playing out, even though there is occasional glimmers of blood. A confrontation in a bamboo forest that ascends to the highest branches and becomes almost poetic visually as you're watching them. It throws you into an otherworldly kind of aspect that us in the West had never really encountered before. Those who had followed like Chinese cinema, and also Chinese TV serials throughout the years. And I got some aspect of it from my love of, you know, monkey TV series that we've mentioned previously on the show. We got to see them really represented in such a majestic way for the first time. And the wire work techniques that are involved in the film we're so accustomed to these days. So many films use wire work techniques for, for action sequences that we kind of take for granted. But this film was one of the first ones to really utilise them in a creative way, and it blew audiences away at the time. One thing that stood out when I, when I rewatched this to recently is I'd always thought of this as a Chow Yun-Fat film, but rewatching it, he's very much a support role in his story because this is a very female-led film. The female characters, Michelle Yeoh's character and um, Zhang Ji, um, her, her role, they're the key 
story drivers throughout with Chow Yun-Fat's Lee, Lee Mubai basically just being a plot point. I was going to say, Andy, that um, you're right. I mean, those of us who've watched Chinese cinema were quite familiar with the wire work uh, uh, way of doing uh, uh, doing fight sequences and I think bringing it to a, a new audience. And, and you are right. And, and the, the bamboo sequence in particular is, is a standout for me. There are some amazing martial art battles. But the film is also so utterly, utterly beautiful. Uh, I mean, it's directed in a such a way which takes you to the back to a period of Chinese history, but it's such a, a fanciful fantasy mm. uh, piece of Chinese history. But what makes this film work for me is it's just so so beautifully dramatic. Yeah. It's the love aspect, the romance aspect, the the tasteful drama that makes this makes this work and why I think it's been held up for such universal acclaim. I mean, this was a film that got nominated for awards internationally. It found uh, a US audience uh, grossing more than $8 million at the box office, which is unheard of for a film which is in Mandarin. I know the film did get released in some territories, dubbed, but that sort of almost takes away the poetry of, of, of watching these actors perform. I think it, it, it does it an injustice. The film is is breathtaking, but it's also heartbreaking as well. It's it's the love story that gives it its heart. It's the relationship between these characters who can't say what they feel about each other. And and that's what I always walk away from. Not the fact that it, it's, yeah. it's the, the fantastic battle sequences. And yes, they are. It is that love story. Yeah, as much as the core story is about the theft of the Sword of Destiny, that is just a plot device because, like you say, it's the love aspect. It's a story of unrequited love between Limu Bei and uh, Yushu Lien, played by Chow Yun-Fat and Michelle Yeoh, brilliantly. But also unwanted love from um, Zhang Ziyi's character, who is the, the daughter of the governor who's been tagged to marry and she doesn't want to she wants to become an adventurer she wants to become a warrior she wants to become a fighter and it's those like i say melodramatic aspects the kind of thing that you get in chinese serials where it goes melodramatic and it's all about family engagements and like honor and everything and that's what plays it and that's what draws you in and makes this more than just an action film like you say the film won like was nominated for loads of awards and it won a significant amount for pretty much everything. Costume, cinematography, cast, crew. The success of this film paved way for a wealth of similar productions to finally get released in the West in following years. We saw films such as Hero, yeah. uh, The Marvelous House of Flying Daggers, Zoo Warriors, uh, Seven Swords. Over the next like five, six years, there was a deluge of them just tagging in to the success that this film did. It's just a shame that it took them about 15 years to finally get round to bringing an actual sequel to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, by which time the popularity had kind of waned and it got released in the UK on Netflix as uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny. Michelle Yeoh reprised her role, but she's the only one who returned. Yeah, Zhang Zi was said she wouldn't do it unless Ang Lee was connected to the film. Uh, I, I've not seen the sequel and... Uh, and the reason I didn't is because it's not an Ang Lee film. And I think that's the no. difference. Ang Lee understood Chinese cinema, but he also understood the complexities of what a Western audience wanted. And it was a, it's a, it was a fine tightrope walk to bring back this tradition that's been, as we've said, is, is, has been going on in, in Chinese movie making for, for decades. But to have that emotional 
content that would appeal to to a Western audience. And I think he 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 was the right guy for it. And I think that's why it stands out even now, even off the back end of films like Hero, which I love by the way. I think this still stands out as being as being one of the the very very best because all the all the elements are right, it, all the combinations of of East meets West to a degree. Because I know Wang Lee's a, a, a Chinese cinema director, but he understands American feature making and and yeah. that works. He understands the beats, the rhythms, which can sometimes throw me out of a, a Asian films because we have a tradition. It's in our DNA how we understand storytelling, and he brought that to this this beautiful canvas that he and, and produced this, this beautiful film. Uh, the influence that this film had on Western cinema throughout the years can still be seen today. And indeed, last year, the MCU gave us Shang-Chi, which not only contains the graceful fighting styles of Wuxia, but also themes of love and honour, which were core to the story. And we'll continue to see this influence play out in cinema going forwards because everything that Crouch and Tiger brought to the screen worked for a very valid reason. Like you say, Ang Lee delivered it perfectly. He gave us a film that is well and truly worth revisiting, holds up well two decades later, and is possibly one of the most beautiful blockbusters ever to grace the big screen. Uh, there's nothing more I can say to that, Andy. If you've not had a chance, I'm going to say to watch, but to absolutely experience this film, then then please do so. See it on the biggest screen you can, see it on the biggest TV you can, because... Its attention to detail, its beauty will win you over, as well as a very touching story as well. Andy, where can we find it if we want to see it? It's available to view on Netflix for no charge, or you can just treat yourself and get yourself the Blu-ray and get it in the full resolution that you should be watching it in and experience this film. And that's this week's Deep Dive, and we'll be back with another one very soon. And now it's time for this week's reviews. At least two of those... I was hoping to have seen this week, but just time is just... There's not been enough of it, that's what I can say. But I do believe in one part of the multiverse, not only have I seen all of these films, but I'm the one reviewing them. <laughs> Tell me, Andy, because you know how much I've been dying to see this film. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Is it the film I'm hoping it should be? Mom, just wait. No time to wait. Very busy. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. If you can imagine it, somewhere out there, it exists. The universe is bigger than you realize. Do you think this is funny? There's no going back. Of all the places I could be, I just want to be here with you. Now, this is a film that takes some dissecting as it delivers exactly what the title suggests. Everything. Genuinely laugh out loud, funny at points, marvellously inventive action scenes, a confusing but in a good way plotline, a heartfelt drama about family and conflict, and a thesis on existentialism. There's so much going on that at the end of the film, I knew I'd seen something really special, but could only initially post a one-word review. Wow. Michelle Yeoh is front and centre in a role that sees her do pretty much everything, getting a chance to really play every approach as she plays Evelyn Wang, 
a mother who's struggled to live up to her father's expectations, whilst also struggling to allow her own daughter, Joy, to become her own entity. With a marriage that is strained, her husband, Waymond, is seeking divorce. All of her home worries suddenly pale into insignificance when her husband suddenly acts a little strange, insisting he's been taken over by another version from another multiverse, and only the pair of them can prevent a dark evil from destroying all reality. From that point onwards, Evelyn begins to find her importance in the multiverse while still trying to fix the problems in her own timeline. The energy of this film kicks in pretty early, and it doesn't let up as we're rapidly introduced to the concept of multiverse and the bizarre manner in which you can tap into other versions of your life by doing something a little strange and out of, out of sorts. The stranger the act, the more likely the success in jumping between realities. And the result is a film which, at times, is so insanely crazy that you'll find yourself rupturing with laughter right before it hits you with an emotional moment of reflection. You see, even though this is an action-packed comedy, it knows exactly when to slow down a little and let us feel and care for everyone. And this includes the being that's responsible for trying to destroy the realities. We are let a chance to care. The film looks amazing and far exceeds the expectations of a 25 million budget. Unlike many higher budgeted action outings, the money here has been spent perfectly, but never at the expense of the story. This is no mindless multiverse venture. This is, as mentioned at the head of the review, a study of existentialism and family, which will leave you emotionally impacted and contemplating the impact that you can make on the lives of others around you. Find a cinema near you showing this right now and get a ticket booked. You know how a few weeks ago, after seeing The Northman, I said, I've just seen the five out of five film of the year for me yes. and nothing's going to beat it. The Northman is now my second favourite film of the year. Wow. Because everything everywhere all at once blow me away. I don't know if you've seen the clip on YouTube of Michelle Yeoh talking about being cast in this film. Uh, by Wait, Is it the one where she breaks down in tears? Yeah, and she breaks down in yeah. tears because she never thought she would be offered anything like this. And it's just it's just such a touching moment to see her a career validated that you know other people saw for for being more than just a, a, an action star and she's always been more than just mm. an action star everything she's done she she delivers a fantastic performance even down to star trek discovery where you know she was she was in a multiverse in that one as well yeah uh she, she's an amazing screen presence i certainly will be going to see this film and as i said somewhere else in the multiverse I've already seen it. And in another multiverse, I'm in it. that one out. <laughs> uh, next film that I'll be looking at is another one that came out at the cinemas this week. And you know how much I wanted to see this. In fact, when we were talking about upcoming movies, this was high on my list because, as you know from our Twitter question, I'm a big Stephen King film adaptation fan. Now, I've seen the original, and it's not bad. The Mark L. Lester version isn't bad it just deviates too much from the book with one piece of, of really terrible uh, uh, wrong casting. But it, it, it's not bad. And I always thought there was room to make a great version of Firestarter. But I'm guessing this isn't the great version of Firestarter. Penny, it happened again. Weirdo. I wish I was normal. You're strong, Charlie. You're gonna change the world. The girl's power is growing. She's a real superhero. I'm a monster! You have to learn how to control the power. I can help you. Liar, liar. Pants on fire. 
Released to cinemas and to streaming on Peacock at the same time, we have this new adaptation of the Stephen King novel that already saw a much derided adaptation in the mid-80s. Now, whilst this version is better than that older adaptation, it's only marginally so. And perhaps it is time for us to accept that the majority of Stephen King tales should maybe just remain on the page. Zac Efron and Sidney Lemon, uh, Andy and Vicky, a couple who were involved in some top-secret lab trials which gave them supernatural powers. And now, in the present day, they have their own daughter, Charlie, played by Ryan Keira Armstrong, who's inherited abilities herself, destructive ones in the guise of pyrokinesis. Constantly on the move to avoid detection, things slip when Charlie loses control of her power at school, resulting in a government agency seeking the couple, and especially the girl, whose powers could be tapped and used as a great weapon. First things first, Ryan Keira Armstrong is a decently strong presence in the key role of Charlie. Zac Efron is solid enough, and Michael Greyeyes as Rainbird is chillingly menacing, really good bit of casting. However, everyone else, including the usually great Kurtwood Smith, are lacking. And the plodding nature of the film drags the short 94 minutes out, so it feels like double that. Any of the impact of the book is lost in the meandering approach the film takes, and the end result is a film that sits comfortably in a DVD bargain bin, as opposed to being a big screen event. This is yet another example of how Stephen King seems to be so hard for creators to bring to the big screen. I'm, I'm hugely disappointed. I was, a, I was looking forward to it. A new Stephen King adaptation, I'm always in. Uh, but that sounds pretty poor. And I was, I was kind of suspicious when there were no, no reviews or, or not much yeah. as, as far as publicity about this film. We saw a trailer which looked pretty good a few months back. Now, one thing that does interest me, and maybe because I'm, I'm not likely to see the film until it hits streaming, is the fact that John Carpenter has done the soundtrack. And, and John Carpenter originally was the director for the, the first version of, of Firestarter. And of course, he went on to do Christine. So in my head, I'm just going to imagine that this is a concept album by John Carpenter <laughs> for uh, an unmade film called Firestarter. And, and, and I think that works for me. I think I'll stick with that. Okay, Andy, your next yeah. review is... The Bad Guys, which is available for home rental premium at this point in time. From DreamWorks Animation, who brought you Shrek and Kung Fu Panda. Show the world you're more than just a scary stereotype. It's an action-packed animated adventure everyone will love. Is it true sharks can smell blood a mile away? <laughs> no, that's freaky. The Bad Guys, with PG. Mr. Wolf, Mr. Snake, Ms. Tarantula... Mr. Shark and Mr. Piranha have avoided capture in their crime sprees, using the human terror at their forms to benefit whilst coolly and calmly pulling off heists. But when one job goes wrong, the gang find themselves given the option of years in prison or take part in an experiment to turn them into good guys. Opting for the second, the gang struggle to break old habits, but with Mr. Wolf determined to charm Diane Foxington, a Red Fox governor, he does everything he can to bring the others into line in this wild, wacky and thoroughly enjoyable animated offering from DreamWorks. The animated style was the first thing that drew me to this. The trailers look snappy and slick with a smooth animated style, which also used quick cuts and edits to make it very comic book style. And thankfully, the end result plays very similar. The vibe feels like a kid-friendly Ocean's Eleven, with Wolf channeling George Clooney vibes throughout. And this is a good thing. Right from the offset, I was chuckling away at the comic moments, whilst being instantly drawn to the charms of the leads. But it's definitely aided by that animated polish. Inspired by the success of the Spider-Verse film, which showed how you could break the mould on style, the bad guys looks fresh and unique, distinguishing it from other animations of our time. 
Yes, the plot line is predictable, and anyone who doesn't see the twists and turns in advance hasn't seen many films in their lives, but that's not a problem when the whole thing is so well done. This is an absolute joy of animated fun, and it's one that I look forward to revisiting over and over again at future dates. See, I, I'm always looking for a good family film you know, to entertain the child. I've just got him into Planet of the Apes, which is not particularly family-friendly, but stay with me. <laughs> Uh, but every now and then we've got to we've got to go back a beat, and uh, yeah, I, I always like the look of this, and uh, it seemed to um, uh, the reviews were good, and it seemed to just hit the right beats for me. So uh, we'll we'll mm. we'll keep that one high on our list. Anything else up and coming, or anything else out that we need to see? Uh, it's a bit of a quiet week ahead of us. So we've got at cinemas, a Benediction is we'll be getting a limited release. And uh, more exciting for me is RoboCop is getting a 4K restoration across the UK oh, this coming good. week. So uh, keep a lookout on your local cinema and go and watch RoboCop in all its brutal, bloody glory. Over on Now TV and Sky, Halloween Kills. So you can be disappointed with a uh, film in a franchise that apparently will be ending this year, hopefully. Netflix, Love, Death and Robots, season three. Now yeah, we've spoken about Love, I mean... Death and Robots previously. And whilst not all of them hit the mark, there's enough quality in there and enough ideas that make us really want to see more short animations of a sci-fi concept. Even the poor episodes are uh, are, are just visually absolutely uh, yeah. uh, amazing. So well worth checking out. One which I will be checking out, which you won't be, is Jackass 4.5, yeah, like which that. lands on Netflix this week. And on Amazon, Night Sky, which sees J.K. Simmons and Sissy Spasek in a sci-fi drama about a couple who discover a chamber buried in their backyard, which leads to a strange deserted planet. Yeah, mentioned, I saw the trailer for this a couple of shows back, and it looks, I, I mean, J.K. Simmons, uh, I, yeah. it, the, the conversation should just end there, but yeah, looked very intrigued. Well, what a show. Um, more to come next week. We just don't know what more you're going to get, because for this week, we're done. But of course, before we go, we have to do our neat thing. Our neat things are something that we've seen, enjoyed, uh, whether that's gaming, whether that's a comic, whether it's a book, whether it's a, a fantastic meal, you name it, as long as it's neat, then we get to talk about it. Andy, I think we know where you're going for your neat thing. Yes. Now, this is something that so many times when I've revealed my love of this uh, to people, they've looked at me blank faced with a, really? You like this? <laughs> and last night was one of those nights of the year that I absolutely love because it was the Eurovision Song Contest. Yes, I am a I am not ashamed to say I am a fan of Eurovision. I have been since I was a kid and I watch it every year and it can be cheesy, it can be ridiculously campy at times and I love that. But in more recent years it's also been a great showcase of musical talents. And I've ended up following a lot of artists on Spotify as a result of them popping up at the Eurovision. Over the past few years, there have been quite a lot of rock and metal entries that have made yeah, this yeah, way into no, the final from some really great names as well. So if you're one of these people who just thinks it's all just people singing boom, shalalang and like la, 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 la and silly costumes, give it a chance in more recent years, wait until next year's one and join the fun of watching and feel free whenever you do to follow my tweets on social media as I'm watching it, as I uh, 
draw reference to what's going on on screen, sometimes in a positive way, sometimes in a jokey way, sometimes just whatever's come off the top of my mind. Which is why I was late to recordings this morning, because I, <laughs> uh, I was late up and I was reading Andy's uh, Eurovision tweets and they're going, oh, it's time to record. <laughs> um, last night's show. Now, for years, you see people saying it's pointless taking part in it because it's all political. The UK will never score any points because everyone hates the UK. And last year, you know, we we got the famous Nilpois, uh, which uh, was the first time in UK history that they've scored nothing. But this year, the UK entry from Sam Ryder actually was a good entry because past 10 years, every entry from the UK, I will say here and now, were garbage. They were not put in there to win. And I think it's a deliberate tactic because if you win, you have to host the next year and that will cost. So rather than risking having to host it, We've deliberately sent trash along. This year, we sent someone who almost won because Sam Ryder's song, Spaceman, was a belter. And Sam Ryder himself is filled with charm. He's such a great spokesman for our country and spokesman for music in our country. And we came second. Why did we come second? Because the Ukraine won. Now, you could argue that obviously Ukraine was going to win because everyone's supporting Ukraine at the moment because of the situation over there. And it was a great little po- bit of positivity that the rest of U- Europe unites around Ukraine. And I would have argued that, except the Ukraine entry was actually a belter of a track as well. So it deserved to win. Absolutely marvellous. I had so much fun watching last night. The, the Rasmus turned up to do an entry. The Rasmus, remember them? They're still going. Um, there's a there's a group called Subwoofer who gave us a, a nice fun track called "Give the Wolf a Banana," which uh, that got straight added straight into my Spotify playlist. There was the fun, jokey ones. There was the serious ones. There was a lot of ballads last night, which I think is reflective of the times that we're living in. That people are reflective about things, and a ballad does that reflective thing. But it's just a it's an enjoyment from eight o'clock till midnight once a year. On a Saturday, I book the night off work just to sit at home and watch Eurovision. And I love it. So that is my neat thing. Eurovision is a neat thing. If you've never listened to the music, go to Spotify. You can find all the um, playlists for the tracks. And you'll find that it's not what you think it is. I, I uh, didn't get a chance to see it. We were, we were gigging, as I said, right at the beginning of the show uh, last night. And, and uh, my other half was listening to it on the way home. So she'd got it on, on Radio 2 and we got home just in time for the for the results and uh yeah i i think you're absolutely spot on andy sometimes it is political about about england but you know last year's was an appalling song and it didn't deserve any points and from having heard this year's it deserved to do very well and it did on its own merits and but of course it was a i know it was a foregone conclusion that you ukraine were going to win and and you know that's what music is about it's if you 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 want to if you want to close continental divides, music's always the yeah. best way because it, it is the international language. Um, so it's so a well it done us all together. to, to uh, UK. Not often you can say that, ever. Yeah. <laughs> right, my, my neat thing is, I think I mentioned this on a previous one, so I'm going to broaden it out. Um, Apple TV Plus, we talk about an awful lot. Boy, while they don't have the quantity, they certainly have the quality. Uh, Ted Lasso that Andy, in fact, got me into and is one of my all-time favourite shows. I think it's an absolutely beautiful show. Uh, there have been stuff like The Foundation. Uh, we've got the series that started just this week, uh, The Essex Serpent, which looks really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. But the other day, I finished the run on Severance. 
the show directed by Ben Stiller, which is part Charlie Kaufman, Stanley Kubrick, uh, Wes Anderson. Uh, uh, Andy mentioned The Prisoner earlier. But the last episode was absolutely, as Stephen King himself said, one of the most interesting hours of television that you're ever going to watch. So if you've not seen the series, Where to Start, you could say it's science fiction. You could say it's a, a black, black comedy. You could say psychological thriller. And you'd be right on all of those. It has so many subgenres. It could be about the uh, a warning of, of the workplace and an intrusion into your life. But it is just a, a unique pre, uh, piece of, of storytelling. So where to begin? Uh, Adam Scott plays Mark, who works for uh, an organisation where the office workers' memories are surgically divided between their work life and their uh, their personal lives, their outside lives. You don't remember your life as a worker and you don't remember your life outside of that. It's been a phenomenal series. It's been a slow build. It's been visually stunning. I mean, I, I don't think I can name a series that looks like this. It's got a great cast. Uh, Adam Scott, as I said. Uh, Britt Lower, who I don't know, who has been phenomenal. Patricia Arquette. John Turturro, the ever-excellent, and you have to say it, the great Christopher Walken, playing the kind of role that you don't expect Christopher Walken to play. The series ended on a cliffhanger, and what a cliffhanger. I didn't think they could do a second series to this. Boy, was I ever wrong. So I think Stephen King and I are both correct in this. This is a great hour of one of the most imaginative TV series I think I've ever seen. Mm. So my neat thing is Severance, and especially the last episode. I'm halfway through the series at the moment, so I'm looking forward to getting towards the end. It's like you say, Apple Apple TV Plus, quality over quantity. And I've also started watching, it came out last year, Schmigadoon. Oh, yeah, I've heard great things about that. I wasn't sure when I read up the synopsis, like, eh. But within five minutes, I was laughing like a loon. It's brilliant. It's so much fun, especially if you've got a love of, like, your your 1940s and 50s musicals there's so much joy to be had with it mocking the approaches that those films used to have i mean we both talked about the after party and and my other mm-hmm. previous neat, uh, neat thing was slow horses which again is one of the the best hour-long series i've seen in an awful long time so we know that apple has all the money if you want to sponsor the show please get in touch but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is it i mean they're doing they're just doing some phenomenal work you know it is quality tv not there's not huge amounts of it it's not saturated like like netflix when something lands it, it just has that sense of gravitas it's almost a cross between hbo yeah. bbc2 and channel 4 of old i think you know it's doing some yeah. sterling work anyway enough of that because it's now it's time to say Farewell. As Andy moves on to different things over the next week, uh, we'll bring you a a new show next week, but it's going to be an interesting ride for the next couple of weeks, so stay with us. And please, 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 we implore you to spread the word, uh, bring people on board, become part of the Film File family. Andy, good luck with your move down to Banbury. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure it'll all go well. You'll you'll do a sterling job. Yep. Uh, It's going to be... I'll be... giving some reports on upcoming shows as to how the cinema's running and you know if you're in the Banbury area and you listen to the show pop into the new cinema when it opens and ask me and we'll be saying hello Banbury but for now we'll see you later but Andy when it comes to emotions even great heroes can be you